Amen. Thank you for singing so beautifully. We've sung a lot of wonderful songs tonight. And the great message in those, in each and every one of those songs. So thank you for helping to do that. Well, let's open the Bible tonight to Genesis chapters 10 and 11 is where we're going to be focusing this evening. Uh, last week, we looked at uh, the person Noah, not really the whole story about the ark necessarily, but that he found grace in the eyes of the Lord and what that meant and how God chose him for that very special purpose. And what we're going to be doing is going through the, uh, some of the Old Testament books, uh, just hitting some particular spots, some characters, some events that maybe don't get focused on quite as much. And tonight we're going to look at the really strange uh, event known as the Tower of Babel. But I think that what happened with the Tower of Babel has a very modern application. Because in reality, I think the Tower of Babel was the beginning of what is called the New Age Movement. The New Age Movement, what we're dealing with in our culture today, is not new at all. In fact, it's ancient. It's simply been repackaged so that a new generation can be deceived. And I think that it is directly tied with leading up to what will happen on a much larger scale, on a broader scale, at the end of the age. We studied the book of Revelation through last year on Wednesday nights. And the Tower of Babel stands as really, I think, a type of the Antichrist who will come at the end of time. He will be a very similar character to a man we meet here in Genesis 10 and 11, a man named Nimrod. So look, if you will, at Genesis 10, verses 8 and 9. I would direct your attention there first. It says, Cush begot Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And then verse 10, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. And then it mentions some other places as well. Now look at chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Now, the whole earth had one language and one speech. Now, this, of course, was in the generations that uh, followed the flood. Remember, the, the only, only Noah and his family were saved from the great flood that covered the entire earth. And yes, I believe there was a great flood that covered the entire earth because the Bible says there was. And I think eventually... Maybe not, but eventually science will catch up to the reality of the truth of Scripture. And if it doesn't, someday all that will matter is what God says, right? And he says in his word that there was a great flood that destroyed every living person on the earth except Noah and his family. And then they began to repopulate the earth. And by chapter 11 here, you have 
this statement about the condition, the situation. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens or to the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us, capital U. The let us from God is more significant than the let us from the people, right? Come, let us go down. And there confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. The New Age Movement. That's defined in a lot of different ways. We began to hear that term back of, in the 1980s and into the 90s. You don't hear it quite as much now, but what we have that has followed really is in the same line as what began to be talked about in the 80s and 90s and the early 2000s. Marilyn Ferguson is a woman who was kind of the apostle of this movement. And here's how she describes it. A leaderless but powerful network is working to bring about radical change. Notice the buzzwords. Radical change. Now, she was writing this in the 80s. So this was long before... Uh, we are the change we have been looking for. She wrote this long before that came along. Radical change in the United States. Broader than reform, deeper than revolution. This benign conspiracy, this benign conspiracy for a new human agenda has triggered the most rapid cultural realignment in history. And that has just continued since the 80s and 90s. The great shuddering, irrevocable shift overtaking us, it is a new mind. The ascendance of a startling worldview. I would suggest to you that that's what we are in the throes of today. New Age thinking has its roots in Eastern mysticism. So think Buddhism. Think Hinduism. It's simply a repackaging of old, ancient philosophies 
with new things added to it or people putting their own twist on it and basically saying, I am God. I can make God in my own image. As one writer said, one needs to get to the psychic self by training oneself to ignore messages from the mind or to see that the mind is actually achieving cosmic consciousness. The mind can create reality. So it's not a worldview that says God created all that is. We are his creation. He is God. And reality is that. No, it's a philosophy that says, I am the center of the universe. I can create my own reality. I don't have to fit into the reality that God created. I can create a new reality, the same spirit that was present with Nimrod and those at the Tower of Babel. They decided they would create a new reality. They would build a tower that would reach up unto the heavens. I don't think that that means that they were literally thinking they were going to build a tower that would go all the way to heaven. No, the statement is written in such a way that they were building this great and glorious altar to themselves and an altar of idolatry. It would become a tower that would stand for their own power, their own reality, and they were shaking their fist in the face of God. And that's what people are still doing today. Now listen to this description, this paragraph about New Agers and see if this does not fit with what's happening in our country today. New Agers create their own reality. They believe they can create reality by what they believe. And by changing what they believe, they can change reality. All moral boundaries have been erased. There are no absolutes because there is no distinction between good and evil. Nothing has reality until one says that it is reality or says that it is truth. So if you've like me, have watched things unfold in our country in recent days, and you've tried to wrap your mind around how can this be? How is this happening? How can the California public school system be prepared to teach children that there are 15 genders? When the Bible says God made them male and female, and reality, obvious reality, with your eyes and with all that you know tells you There are two genders. But that's not what people believe anymore. By believing that there are 15 genders, they create their own reality. And if they say, I'm a female today or I'm a male tomorrow, if they say it, if they believe it, that makes it so. And we now live in a culture that is rushing headlong down this road where people do not believe that they live in a reality that God created, but they make their own reality simply by saying it is so. And they not only want to say it for themselves, we then are expected to agree with them. We are expected to affirm the insanity that we see unfolding before us. 
what used to be called mental illness is now affirmed as something that is real. It's like the story of the emperor's new clothes. Remember that, that great old story? Everybody could see that the emperor was walking around with no clothes on. But nobody would say it because they didn't want to be the person to say, oh, it isn't so. We can all see that the reality that people say exists is not real. It's not true. And we know it from the pages of God's Word. But if we say it, we are evil. We are sick. We are demented. Not the people who clearly are living in a fantasy land. The Tower of Babel stands as the beginning of that way of thinking. Here were people who were told by God what the reality was. If you look at Genesis chapter 9 and verse 1, what had God told them to do? God had told them, it says, So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Fill the earth. So the descendants of Noah were to be the people who would replenish the earth that had just been destroyed. They were to go throughout the earth. But instead they decided they wanted to congregate in that one area. They didn't want to do what God said. They wanted to do what they wanted to do. And so they decided they would build themselves a city. Going back to to, uh, chapter 11, do you notice how many times they say, let us? Let us build a city for ourselves. No mention of God. No desire to do what God had told them to do. But they wanted to change the reality of what God's plan was into their own reality. And instead of worshiping and obeying the true God, they instead wanted to essentially create their own religion, their own God in their image. And so this tower stands not as a way for them to climb up to heaven. I remember as a child I used to read the story of the Tower of Babel and I thought, well, they were just trying to make a, like a big ladder to get to heaven. They wanted to go up this tower and then they'd be in heaven with God. No, that was exactly the opposite of what they were trying to do. They didn't want to recognize the true God. They wanted to replace God. And the Tower of Babel stands as a giant idol, an idol to their own rebellion against God. And that's what we see all around us today. The insanity that we see unfolding in our country. The things people say, you know, you see it on TV and you just laugh. You laugh out loud because you think, how can anybody be that crazy? How can they believe that? And yet, they do believe it. And they think by believing it, it becomes real. And so everybody else is expected to believe that it's real too. When we know it's not real. And we know that it's not true. Come let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves. Lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Well isn't that what God wanted? 
God wanted them to be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. He wanted them to fill the earth. That was their role in life. But they didn't want to do what God wanted. And so they were trying to stop the plan of God. The New Age movement and all of the things that now flow from it are essentially one gigantic act of rebellion against God. To say, no, you are not God. You are not the authority in my life. You don't determine who I am and what I'm here for. I will be God in my own life. That's all in the world it is. And it will never be anything but that. Those who don't know Jesus Christ are deceived. They are deceived. And we find over in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul talking about that kind of deception that I think happened at Babel with Nimrod, this strange character, and also what we see happening today. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 as Paul wrote about the great apostasy that would come. He said, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you, not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved." And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they may all be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And so I think what we see unfolding today is that process that has already begun. And the spirit of Antichrist is already here. And someday there will be the Antichrist himself. After the church is raptured out of the earth, then you will have the great tribulation and the Antichrist will be revealed. And what will he do? Much what they did here at Babel. He will set up himself to be worshipped in the temple of God. He will shake his fist in the face of God, just like Satan did when he fell from heaven. He will seek to replace God. And so this New Age movement, its founder was Nimrod. And behind Nimrod was the adversary, Satan himself. Because all rebellion against God 
and unwillingness to worship God as the only true God, behind that is always the work of Satan, the work of the adversary. You see it in his arrogance. You see it in the things that he did, in his abilities. He's called a hunter. Did you notice that? A great hunter. But many scholars believe that word hunter is not used to talk about someone who hunted animals. It wouldn't have been unusual for someone to be a a hunter or even a, a fine hunter in that day. But the word hunter connected with mighty, a mighty hunter, is used to describe someone who was hunting men in a spiritual sense. He was a person who was trying to deceive people and lead them to be in rebellion against God just as he was in rebellion against God. And thus he put forward the whole idea of building the Tower of Babel as a way to avoid what God wanted their lives to be about. And there are people today under the control of the evil one who seek to hunt the souls of people on this earth, to keep people away from Jesus Christ and to deceive them to believe a lie. And that continues and will continue until Jesus comes back. The faith of this movement, again, is a faith in self, not a faith in God, not a trust in God. And so this movement had its beginning in Genesis chapter 11. As they said, let us. And one language. Do you see the emphasis of this movement in Genesis 11? Does it sound familiar? Oh, if we could all just be unified. If we could all just be one. One language. One mind. If we could all just live in peace and harmony in one place together, oh, what a wonderful world it would be. That's what you hear every day on the news, isn't it, from the media and from some politicians. But you know what the truth is? When people get together like that in one place, in one mind, it's not going to be good. It's not going to be good. The entire emphasis in Scripture about humanity is to decentralize. People do better when they aren't all together and aren't all in cahoots with one another because the fallen nature of man means that when we are, something bad is about to happen, not something good. And thus the brilliance of our nation, our Constitution, I do think, It wasn't inspired like Scripture is inspired, but I do think God led the formation of this country, creating a decentralized government where the people are in control, not a centralized government. Because when power aggregates in one place with one group, something bad is about to happen. And the more power is centralized, control is centralized, it will be used in an evil way. And there at the Tower of Babel, they wanted to stay together right there in that one area, and they wanted to build this marvelous city unto themselves, and they didn't care what God thought. And so I know I'm going against the grain here, folks, but 
peace and harmony will break out. Real peace and harmony only breaks out when God is in control, not when people get together. The more people get together, the worse it's going to be. The worse it's going to be. And so the faith that they had centered on self, oneness, and unity. So don't be that Christian that's always out there talking about, well, if all the Christians in the world could just get together and be on the same page and do the same thing, well, folks, it's not going to happen. It isn't going to happen. Because the unity we have is not in us being together. Let us do this great thing. Our unity is in the spirit of Jesus Christ and our focus on the gospel. That's where the unity comes. And anything apart from that is going to eventually have an evil result. Why? Because we're fallen people. And so we need more of Jesus Christ, not more of ourselves. If the world is going to be a better place. The world is not going to be a better place because people get together, it's because we get together with God. He must be the center of the universe. The faith of the New Age movement and what started there at the Tower of Babel is disobedience, it's depravity, and you might say it is destruction. Because what happened to them? Did they succeed? Their glorious tower that they built? Did it, did it end up accomplishing what they wanted it to accomplish? No. What happened? Look there in verse 5. But the Lord came down. Oh, that's a bad deal right there. But the Lord came down. You remember him? Remember God, the one who said, you need to multiply you need to fill the earth. Not the God who told you to stay in one place and do your own thing. He never told them that. And so while they're building this great city and this great tower, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. Was God impressed with their city? Was he impressed with their tower, with their unity, with their one language and their one mind and all that they were doing together. Do you think God's impressed with that today? No, because it isn't the plan of God. And he's no more impressed today than he was then. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one. And they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. So do you think God is all for people getting together and agreeing and Doing all the same, the, the one thing they want to do? Not if it's not what he wants. You see that? Because what does God do? You'd think from our perspective today, this is exactly what the world today says would be heaven on earth, wouldn't it? And yet when they did it, what did God do? Verse 7, come let us, let us. There's the plural of majesty. There's the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Come let us go down and confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth 
and they ceased building the city. He decentralized them because he knew they'd have a harder time destroying themselves if they weren't all in the same place. They would need God. They would need to look to him for the plan and for the purpose and for the power. And so he scattered them. That's why we're scattered all over the earth. Now, I'm, don't mishear me. I'm not saying that there aren't things we do together. We're a family of faith together. But we're under the authority of Jesus Christ. We don't come together to do what we can do. We look to him. We're trying to accomplish his work. And anything other than that, there's no use in human beings really getting together because when we get together bad things are going to happen because we're fallen we're sinful and we need God's power to accomplish anything that is good so remember this story the next time you hear somebody say oh I just wish we could all get together well, it's been tried, and it didn't work out so well. God wants us to get together with him and to do his will. And when we do that, then good things, eternal things, great things can happen. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for this amazing example of what plays out every day in our own country and in our world, the rebellion of the human heart, the desire to turn away from the world you created and the reality that you have set before us and to create our own reality and live in our own little dream world. Lord, deliver us from that desire. Help us to see the world as it is and our role in it to live for you and to share your love with other people so they too can be set free. We pray that you will forgive us for the times that we've chosen our own path instead of yours. So Lord, help us to remember the lesson of Babel, that your language is the only one that counts, the language of your love and grace and mercy. And may we spend our lives trying to share that language, that truth, with the world that needs it so much. Lord, if there's decisions that need to be made here now in this time of decision and invitation, we pray that you'll lead us and help us to follow you and be obedient to you. And we'll give you the praise for your goodness and grace. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.